0: The Medical School Headquarters Podcast, session number 139. Hello and welcome to the Medical School Headquarters Podcast, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your pre-med success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. If this is your first time joining us here at the Medical School Headquarters podcast, welcome. As I said at the beginning, this is session number 139. Every week, we release an episode on Wednesday. At some point during the day, we typically like to do in the morning, but we've been struggling with that lately. I'm sorry for those loyal listeners that wait uh, until five o'clock in the morning for that podcast to release. But we do release one every Wednesday, and we have for the last 139 weeks now. So if you're just joining us, go back and download all of our back catalog using your podcast player of choice, and I know you will find something useful, hopefully, well, not hopefully I know, but hopefully No, I know. I know you'll find something useful in all hundred and thirty eight episodes of our back catalog, and hopefully something useful in today's podcast as well. If you have been a loyal listener for a while, do me a favor and go tell a friend about it. Go tell your classmate. Go email a listserv or tell your pre-med club about us. That's the way that we grow. The month of June twenty fifteen was our best. Month ever we had on average a thousand downloads a day. I want to see that number grow to fifteen hundred downloads a day in the next couple of months, and I can only do that. We can only do that with you spreading the word. So thank you in advance for sending an email to whoever you can send an email to. I challenge you to go find some people to to let them know about this podcast. Let them know about the Serial podcast too. If they've never listened to a podcast, if you. Haven't heard of the Serial Podcast or you haven't listened to it, go listen to it. Amazing podcast, by the way. All right. Back to medical school headquarters stuff. Today on the show, I have another pre med student who has an acceptance to medical school similar to last week with Melissa. This week, we're talking to Frank. He's been out of undergrad now for around 10 years. Melissa was a little bit longer, but we have. 10 years out of medical school and five years ago decided to dip his toes in the water and see what medicine may look like or what the pre health world would look like. We talk about his journey, the struggles that he did or didn't have as a married person, the conversations that he had with his wife about where to apply to school and, and, what life was going to look like during medical school, and what life looked like during his pre-med path, his post back path, working full-time as an engineer, and how he came full circle and got that acceptance. Frank, welcome to the Medical School Headquarters podcast, and congratulations on your acceptance to medical school.
1: Uh, thank you, Ryan. It's, uh, it is exciting to be here.
0: So we're four weeks away roughly from you matriculating into medical school. Before we jump back to your journey, I want to get a sense of what you're feeling right now as, as you have your acceptance, you're, you're getting set to start medical school. What does that feel like?
1: It's actually very, uh, it's a very strange time in my life. You know, I, I'm sure we'll get into it, but I'm a career changer. So I'm, you know, sunsetting a a 10-year engineering career, you know, dabbling in a couple last-minute projects and, you know, kind of reconciling all my affairs. So I've been jokingly calling it my lame duck session that it's this really weird, you know, time in my life that all the rush to get into med school is done. I'm kind of closing up shop in my previous endeavors and uh, I'm looking forward to, you know, starting up something new and big. So it's a it's a strange. It really is a strange time in my life, you know.
0: So not an easy, easy decision. An engineer for ten years, you said. So yep. a non-traditional student. At what point in these last ten years did something click in you and go? You know what? I'm not doing what I want to be doing, and and I want to be a doctor.
1: I can almost remember back to the moment that it was pretty much palpable that you know I. I, and maybe it's from writing all these essays for applications to med school, but I could almost remember sitting at my desk one night in my office, you know, writing a report and saying to myself, you know what, this stopped being new and exciting. I'm kind of not learning, you know, a lot on every project anymore. And I, you know, have gotten to the rhythm of what my career is going to be. And I kind of realized, you know, what that is and and it wasn't, you know, it kind of just wasn't fulfilling to me. So I, you know, kind of did a lot of soul searching and, you know, looked at the other things I'm involved in, in my life. And I have a, a long history in pre-hospital EMS that has always been a place that allowed me to excel in something I've always been very interested in. So I kind of followed that in a path towards something medical. And right away, it wasn't med school. It was just, I knew I wanted to do something medical.
0: So talk about that pre-hospital EMS stuff. Where did that fit in? When did you get that experience?
1: So it actually started, um, so to turn the, the clock back even further, I was diagnosed at age two as a severe asthmatic in and out of the hospital pretty much my whole childhood until pretty much after I was done growing and, you know, my metabolism was a little more stable and they could keep, you know, drug levels a little more constant in me and I was better controlled by the end of high school. But I always had this feeling that I really wanted to give something back for all the ER runs that, you know, in ambulances that I took. So pretty much as soon as I was was old enough, I took a, a EMT course in New Jersey and joined the local volunteer ambulance squad. And so that was back, uh, you know, in the like ninety six, ninety seven, and I stayed involved in that throughout college. Um, I once I went to college, I didn't have an opportunity to do street EMS anymore on a squad, but I uh, got involved in ski patrol at one of the mountains up here in New Hampshire, and I've been doing that now for uh, sixteen seasons. So that's kind of where where that's been.
0: That sounds like a pretty sweet gig. Yeah, EMS.
1: Yeah, talk about combination of passions, you know, if if it was a little more intellectually stimulating and actually paid the bills, that would definitely be my career. But yeah, it, it, it's a lot of fun. It's a fun side job. That's for sure.
0: That's awesome. Well, depending on where your path through medical school takes you, there are physicians at resorts and in the resort town. So don't, don't uh, check that off your list yet.
1: <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. Yeah, absolutely not. All right, so you are you are
0: the epitome of a cliche, right? You as a patient led to this desire to continue in some respects with the EMS field. And that's where the cliche ends because you go off and you do engineering for a while, but it it comes back to you. It's it's in your your subconscious and you go, "You know what? There's Everything from my childhood, my EMS stuff—that's what I should be doing. And I'm sure you wrote about it a lot in your essays, talking about your previous childhood and and how you were sick as a kid and how that kind of maybe sparked some desires. And it obviously worked for you, so you got your acceptance. So
1: that's awesome, right? I definitely feel. I mean, I guess to build on that, you know, talking about getting to med school and kind of you know, reflections on that, I definitely felt that it was, it aided me in having a story. It kind of made it easier because I knew my narrative was, and it's genuine, it's real. I mean, it kind of evolved. You know, I had these experiences and I evolved into going to medicine. So it kind of made it a little bit easier to communicate that through essays and at interviews.
0: And that's one of the advantages that as a non-traditional student, as you are, having this career before coming back into medicine, you're able to have that story and you're able to draw upon that story and tell that story. Obviously, you have to still tell it well, but you have that story. That being a traditional student, you just typically don't have a good story like that. and That's why there's so many non-traditional students that think they are Behind the curve because they're coming from something else where they should be thinking about it in the opposite way. Would you agree?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, coming to it kind of organically through time, through life experiences, and learning what you really want. I mean, I know a lot of people that know what they want. You know, earlier on in life, and my wife is a good example of that. You know, she had her her mindset on a career in grade school, and she does it now and loves it, and I, I'm envious of her. And, you know, I'm I'm sure a lot of people could do that really well, but definitely as a non-traditional student, you know, having those experiences and being able to uh, use them to kind of focus the path that you want to go down is definitely an asset in in going through this process. Cause it's not, you know, you know, as you know, Ryan, it's not an easy process to make it to the the point of the acceptance.
0: Yeah. All right. So at some point, you have this epiphany you're you're kind of still in your job. obviously, you didn't click your heels together and get an acceptance to medical school. It's not that easy. Where did you go initially to figure out the steps that you needed to take along the
1: way so no, it certainly wasn't a click of the heels, and you know early on i you know I probably penciled together, you know, or or I'm sure I use a spreadsheet being an engineer, you know, a couple of different scenarios of how quickly can I do all the prereqs to get into this nursing program or this PA program or med school? And kind of like, all right, I could do, wow, you know, I could fit them all in in a year. Look at this. You know, if I take this there and double up there and then you know, after that reality set in and it ended up being a a longer, slower process of, you know, taking some classes because I was still working full time and feeling my way through the process. And it was kind of my wife and I had a little bit of a contract that, you know, know, I go on another semester if I keep, you know, getting the grades I need to continue on and really enjoying being in school, that I'll keep going. And, you know, it, it kept building on itself and, you know, and, and, it, and it was, it became clear fairly quickly being back in school that, that med school would be my goal. I really, after all this time with a focus of what I want to do, it made school a completely different experience, you know, being back. So it was definitely a, a built on as I went.
0: All right. So you, as an engineer, you Plotted your path, but specifically, if you could remember, like, did you go to the nearest undergraduate institution? Did you go online? How did you know what courses you need to take? How did you figure all that out?
1: Oh, I'm sorry. That, yeah, so the, that's a good, that's a great question. So it was a, it was a combination of things, quite a bit of reading online. I pulled on. I think when I started, uh, you and Allison hadn't started the podcast quite yet, but. Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, That's all right. That's all right. They, they were certainly, you know, I was in the process for long enough that they were quite helpful along the way. I actually used uh, old pre-meds, which is kind of a non-traditional pre-med forum for, you know, a bit of information. They had a couple they have, or they have, they have a couple great journals of people that kind of went through the process and you could kind of read them and they read in a chronology to kind of see the path. So, you know, between going on kind of the traditional sites, like the individual colleges sites, and then the, you know, like uh, the AMCAS and ACOMIS sites for the applications, a combination of doing that to see how the prereqs vary and stuff like that, and then reading the kind of journals to see how it actually fits together for people that did it that are kind of like me, that's how I started. And then the huge value that I had as I went back to my undergraduate institution and they actually offered you know, pre-med advising to alumni. I went to University of New Hampshire for undergrad. Okay, I,
0: I think that's a, a valuable resource that's come up now a couple times recently of non-traditional students going back to your original undergrad institution, if you, if you have one, and checking with their pre-health advising office to say, hey, I graduated a while ago, but I'm interested in medical school. What do you offer? And typically, they'll offer their alumni the same advising services that they offer current students.
1: Absolutely. And it actually worked out really well in my case because while I started taking my prereqs at a couple different places, I took a class online here and there, I, you know, I finished them up at one of the University of New Hampshire campuses. So I was able to get a committee letter, you know, using my new prereq, you know, biology stuff rather than engineering stuff that some of my professors are (laughs)
0: long gone.
1: long (laughs) gone. That that was, I mean, I, I can't stress enough the value of how that all came together for me. And I I feel very fortunate that it did. All
0: right. So you're working full time. You have your accountability partner now, which is something, again, we've talked about recently. Again, the accountability partner with your wife, making sure you're, you're hitting all your goals. Right. What did the, the schedule look like for you working full time? How many classes were you able to squeeze in? What was life like during that time?
1: So it, uh, it kind of, you know, the life and effort was kind of, it was somewhat shaped like a bell curve, I started with one class and then, you know, added class and I was taking a, you know, like two night classes at a time and then kind of one summer night class. And then I ended up at, at UNH Manchester campus where I enrolled full time. And that's when I took organic chemistries and a couple more advanced like biochems and stuff like that. And by then I actually had for two semesters a full-time credit load, which was three laboratory classes, which thankfully uh, my engineering job was very flexible hours-wise. So it was kind of as long as I was getting to the stuff I needed to get to and, and billing my hours, that way I was able to fit in some day classes during the biggest crunch of it. And uh, I definitely learned how little sleep I could get by <laughs> with, uh, which surprised me. But it, that, yeah, so it, it was definitely a crunch. I mean, if I didn't have the flexibility at my workplace, it would have been really, really hard. I mean, I know there's ways to do it, you know, especially in the Northeast where, you know, Harvard Extension offers the classes all at night. But it, it would have been really hard to get those core classes in a time you know, schedule that would allow full time work as well.
0: So let's talk about that flexibility with work. How open were you with them saying, hey, I'm full time here, I'm an employee, but yeah, I'm going to go be a doctor in, in a year or two. So I need to take these classes. Can you let me leave? <laughs>
1: I was honest the whole time, but I was maybe a little more reserved about how sure I was about the whole process. You know, kind of, I said, this is what I'm doing this for, you know, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. But, you know, I I need to keep my benefits and I need to keep my job. So I maybe was a little reserved in saying, this is definitely happening. Like, you know, I've made my decision. Yeah.
0: Until Uh, you had that acceptance letter.
1: Yeah, pretty <laughs> exactly pretty much. But I was honest with them and they were really good. I mean, I couldn't speak any more highly of my staff manager at my engineering firm and the company in general that just has a culture to allow you know, allow people to work like that. I mean, I know you know, I, not that it equates, but there's a a woman in my office that's a mother and she, you know, she worked a similar type of schedule, you know, to be home for her kids. So it's just a luckily a good corporate culture that allowed me to be flexible to get the classes I need and, and be honest with them. And, you know, they're excited for me.
0: Good. OK. And we didn't mention it all. It's you and you're married. Do you have any kids at all?
1: No, that would definitely <laughs> that would probably be the straw that would break our backs. <laughs> um, my wife uh, owns her own business and I actually help her out with that. As well. So, you know, yeah, we don't have kids. So luckily we don't have that added uh, <laughs> don't, stress. Don't
0: say burden. Don't say burden. Right. No, no, not at
1: all. <laughs> we also don't get the joys. That, um, you know, I see that now that my siblings or both our siblings have kids. You know, we're great aunts and uncles, but unfortunately we don't have any of our own yet. Yeah.
0: Awesome. All right. What was life like? Working full-time, taking classes part-time, helping your wife with her business, and studying for the dreaded MCAT.
1: It was tough. It was really tough. And, you know, at the end of it, it definitely took a a toll physically, mentally, (laughs) and uh, but it also you know, because of the hours required, I mean, that's, that's just it. It's just sheer hours. And that's kind of a philosophy I have that, you know, it's kind of the, you know, anyone could run a marathon as long as they just put the training hours in. And that's just, that's the way I looked at it. It was just hours. And unfortunately there's only so many hours in the day. So the, I went with probably too little sleep for, for periods of time, but I also feel confident though, in getting through that. And doing it successfully that I feel pretty confident on, you know, the rigors of med school. And I feel like that also is something that prepared me for in essays and in in interviews that, you know, I did all this while working that it certainly, I certainly feel like I've shown that I have the chops for the rigor anyway.
0: It's funny you, you mentioned that because a lot of What I think, and I know Allison and I agree with this, is that a lot of the, I don't want to say rituals, but a lot of the history of how we are taught in medical school and through residency with overnight call and carrying 10 pagers and and running around and, and trying to save everybody, a lot of that is built in. I think, to give you the confidence that when you're on your own, you, you know you can handle it. And so it's kind of funny that the MCAT has done that to you for medical school because I think medical school and residency do that to you for being an attending and ultimately being in charge. Right.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, I would agree with, uh, you know, while I can't speak, you guys are on the other end of it, I could certainly see how that makes sense. Yeah.
0: How did you prepare for the MCAT?
1: So for the MCAT, I use a combination of resources. But mainly, I, the main resource I use was the exam crackers books and their audio. What do they call it? Audio osmosis, I think they called it. And I also took every available practice test there was.
0: Did you use the practice tests as like... Timing them for real and sitting down and taking the breaks?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I took all the available uh, practice tests through the MCAT. And, you know, I I did additional questions, but all the actual practice tests, I took like real tests.
0: Good. So you didn't take any Kaplan or Princeton Review or any formal courses? No, I did not. Okay. Interesting. And how how did that end up for you?
1: It ended up well enough. Unfortunately, I, I actually had a really bad test day. You know, I, I think that at that time, it was still the old MCAT. I don't remember exactly the number, but there was something like right around 10 available practice tests for me. And I took them all and I kind of I knew my timing for all the sections. And the first, the physical sciences section on the actual MCAT, I had timing problems. And I, I came up way short, like I had to guess on the last 10 questions or something like that, which really threw me for a loop. And if I hadn't taken the MCAT so late in the year, and the following year was this year with the new MCAT, I probably would have canceled my score. But I stuck with it. I got my score back. And luckily, it was not as bad as I had feared. And it was, you know, it was good enough to get into a school that I was really interested in. So
0: good. All right. Talk about the application process. Again, working full time, at this point, maybe finished up with classes, but still helping your wife with her business. How were applications for you? what did you find the hardest during that time?
1: What I found the hardest, there's, uh, there's, I think two things that I would kind of put in those that category. Um, one of them is I have a, you know, I didn't just go to engineering school out of high school right off and do it in four years. I kind of, Bopped around a little bit before I settled it on engineering. Kind of goes back to my whole history. I really wasn't ready for college out of high school and kind of had to go because of my health to keep health insurance. The military wouldn't take me. I tried to join the Coast Guard. So I ended up in in engineering school, but in the course of doing so, I went to uh, maybe three schools for my undergrad by the time I finished. And then I also did a graduate school in engineering as well. So I had a lot of credits at a bunch of different schools. So then once you add in all of the couple of institutions I did my post-bac work in, it was a lot of transcripts and a, an embarrassing amount of credits. So just keeping all that straight and getting all that entered incorrectly was, was a big task. But also, you know, really all the writing, especially coming from a technical background, I mean, I probably didn't write in the first person in, in like 20 years before I was writing all my personal statements stuff. So I found that really challenging because I do a lot, a lot of writing as an engineer, but none of it is anything like what's required for all the applications.
0: Okay. And as, as a non-traditional student, we already talked about how you were able to tell this story about what you're doing here on the steps of a medical school, what was that like during the interviews? Were Were you able to talk about, or was it brought up about your engineering past and what the heck you're doing there?
1: I, absolutely, and I really felt that ease there because, again, I, I, you know, I do feel like I have a a genuine story that you know is is hopefully compelling enough. Well, I, you know, it was compelling enough to get me in but I, you know, it, it's something that's true to me. So it's easy for me to talk about one-on-one. So it, it definitely get it. Once I got to the interview process, it was much more fluid, you know, kind of conversational. Cause I kind of knew I know who I am. You know, I, I know what the, my transition was and kind of my, my story is. So it, I think it made interviews easier than maybe they would be f- as I would imagine, someone that's uh, coming right out of college and, and you know trying to make sure that they're clear on their you know, story to themselves.
0: Okay. You've mentioned your wife owns a business. I know that from talking to you that it's not a very flexible business and where she can work. How did you go about choosing... A medical schools to apply to? And what kind of conversations did you have with her so that I know there's other people listening that that are in similar situations where their spouse or their, their girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever, may be working as well and, and isn't as flexible. How did you go about choosing the schools?
1: So what we did is, I mean, we came to the realization that because we live in New Hampshire, New Hampshire doesn't have a state school. The only med school. The only uh, medical school in New Hampshire is Dartmouth, and it's actually not all that close to us. So we pretty much knew that I wouldn't be doing this from home so that, you know, we're really going to be setting ourselves up for kind of a weekend, you know, in-person relationship. So with that in mind, we, you know, it, we kind of drew it out that, okay, what is a, a practical weekend? You know, trip to make often. So we extended it down to Philadelphia. So what I did was uh, pretty much applied to, or I not, I should take it back. I focused on looking into schools pretty much from Philadelphia north on the East Coast. So, you know, New England, New York, Eastern Pennsylvania, New Jersey. And I was going to look into Maryland, but ended up not. So we kind of tried to keep it within that weekend trip away. You know, we both felt like that was something that's doable for us.
0: Okay. And you didn't discriminate MD or DO?
1: No, I didn't. I actually, you know, applying to schools, I hadn't had a lot of exposure to DO. I I got most of it through my time Um, shadowing. Actually, had a mentor that was a DO that wrote one of those journals I was talking about on old pre-meds and I said wow this guy has the same story you know he's a geologist can actually worked for a competitor of ours so I know I know exactly where he came from from that aspect um, and he happened to be fairly local and he went to UNE so I shadowed him a bit and in the meantime my personal physician I got a new personal physician who was a DO that did his residency at UNE so it really opened my eyes to it and uh, by the end of my application process i was leaning heavily do and une was my first choice school actually
0: good all right and that's where you ended up getting in
1: and that's where i ended up getting in and yeah so i I couldn't feel luckier that's awesome (laughs) yeah
0: all right so at some point a couple years ago you have this epiphany that you want to change how long ago was that what how long has this journey been
1: I took my first class, you know, just really just to dabble in taking classes again. I took a psychology class fall semester of 2010.
0: Okay. So five years.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So pretty much five years I did. So this past spring semester, I didn't take any classes. So pretty much my classes ended fall of 2014. But yeah, to get in, it's five years.
0: So not, not an overnight success, but a success nonetheless. So that's awesome. In those five years that you've been on this journey, has, has there been any time where you wanted to just throw your hands up and say, I quit?
1: I could honestly say no, not at all. I, I really felt that the further I went in the process, the more confident I was that I was doing the right thing. That's and, awesome. you know, like I said, the kind of the contract I had with my wife was that you know, as long as I keep liking it and keep getting the grades I need to get in that I'll keep going. And that, you know, that really did happen. So
0: that's awesome. Yeah. All right. What advice do you have for the non-traditional student out there who is working full time, may or may not have that significant other, may or may not have kids, but is just questioning whether or not they should take this leap?
1: There was a couple things I, I did throughout my journey that I thought was helpful. And there's one thing that I wish I did that if I could go back five years ago and tell myself to do, and I'll start with that one. I wish I took a creative writing class. I think it would have just made my, you know, the, the volume of essays, you have to write a less stressful process, you know? So I think that it, you know, a fair number of people, uh, non-traditional people I come, I meet come from some kind of technical background. So being away from that kind of writing for me was difficult. So I wish I had done that. The things I did that I think were really beneficial were I tried to get my feet in the door at as many schools as possible. So outside of the shadowing and, and that kind of stuff, not a lot of med schools have open houses. But when they did, I tried to get to them, and I tried to get to different events that the various pre-med organizations had, like the American Medical Student Association, stuff like that. And I felt like that was really beneficial to me, too, because it allowed me to get to know the different programs, and coming to it from an older student, I really wanted to find something that was going to be a good fit for me to, you know, so that I know that, you know, is the correct learning environment, you know, to achieve the kind of success that I want to achieve. And by trying to, you know, get in and get a feel for the feel for the school and the environment was really beneficial. And I was shocked how different schools felt just by visiting them. I mean, you can kind of tell what the what the mood of the class is, and kind of, you know, I, I think it reflects on the, you know, the the way the program is run. You know, some people do good in different environments, so I did, and that's that's kind of how I honed in on UNE being a top choice, which allowed me to also it helped in so many ways because also then when you're writing the essays for that institution and you're going in the interview there, you have not only do you have this life experience to pull on, but you have you know, you have a really solid opinion formed about the institution and you could talk in depth about why this is the right institution for me. Because I think uh, I really felt a lot of it, especially the interview was that, you know, everyone is really qualified, but they're trying to match the students that they think are right for them and for you to match the institutions that you feel is the right for you. So you kind of have to uh, come to agreement there. And the other thing I did as a non-traditional student is, Early on, when I was still kind of wavering between uh, med school and PA mostly, I went to one of the old pre med summer conferences, and it was in Vegas that year. I don't remember what year that was, maybe 2011 or something like that. And their speakers were all really good. They had people from the different organizations. That really helped me learn about the process. And, you know, you also get to hear so many stories of people that are more like you as opposed to books you could read that are mostly focused towards the kind of the traditional route into medical school. So I would say those three things are what helped me. And on the subject of the class, what would have helped me most.
0: Okay. Yeah, and the old pre-meds conference, as we're recording this, uh, this month they had their, I forget what number it is, like 16th I think, yeah, an annual conference in LA, and and yeah. I know many people that went because I talked about it on the podcast. I said if you can get to LA for this conference, go. And everybody that went and reached back out to me said it was an amazing experience, and they're so glad they went. So yeah, next they, year, check it out if they yeah. if they have one.
1: Yeah, hopefully they do again because they really do pull together a good group of speakers. So you you, you get a wealth of information in an environment that everyone's like you because going in as a non-traditional student, you know, most people aren't like you, you know, most people are either out of school or, you know, I feel like most people, a lot of the people I meet are like two years out of school. So if you spend Mm -hmm. some time away and you're a a non-traditional student, yeah, that conference is a a huge value.
0: Okay. So Looking back on your whole journey, I want you to muster up all of the motivation that kept you going through not only your regular undergrad, but also your 10 years of working and combined with those five years, these last five years of getting you to where you are now. And talk to the pre med who is struggling in their, their second semester of school or their second year of undergrad and, and is ready to, to give up because they're frustrated and and having a hard time.
1: Well, I mean, one of my big motivations that brought me through engineering, but also really served well in enjoying classes when I was back in school, doing my prereqs is this is a long educational process and they can't stress enough that one of the things they tried to teach physicians to do is be lifelong learners And that's kind of one of the biggest things I always relied on is I really, really enjoy learning, you know, just, I'm just a kind of inquisitive person in general. So, you know, there's not many things out there that I wouldn't enjoy learning about. So if you could find something like that to ground yourself in, it. I don't know, I felt like it allowed me to not get caught up in the race of. Exactly what did I get on this exam or that exam by doing it kind of, you know, I felt in a, you know, I was being true to myself and doing it for the reasons I like to do it. And everything else seemed to fall into place because, you know, I, I, I'd made a decision, you know, looked at the path I wanted to take. I felt like it was the right way to go and I did it in a way that felt right to me it didn't feel forced at all. So I think if I would have felt forced, you know, I wouldn't have found the same success.
0: All right. Again, that was Frank. Frank, congratulations on, if you're listening, congratulations on getting into medical school. It's a huge success. As we talked about, as you're listening to this, everybody, as you're listening to this, The journey is long, the journey is hard, but in the end, Frank has an acceptance, you'll have an acceptance, it's worth it in the end if you're doing it for the right reasons. So congrats, Frank, and wherever you are on your journey, you're in the right path, you're doing the right things, just continue pushing along, that's awesome. If you liked today's podcast, go to medicalschoolhq.net slash iTunes. Leave us a rating and review. We greatly appreciate it. Every time you do so, iTunes shares a little love with us and bumps us up in their rankings. So this week, we don't have any new ratings or reviews as I'm recording this, but that's okay. We're closing in on 300 five-star ratings, which is phenomenal. and not something a lot of podcasts are able to get to. So I appreciate every one of you that leaves a rating and review and takes a a minute or two out of your day to do so. All right. As always, I hope you got a ton of great information out of this podcast. And I hope you join us next week here at the Medical School Headquarters Podcast.